0: Breaking news into Sports Center. We have been waiting for the results of the MRI for Clay Thompson. Adrian Wojnarowski, with us. What can you tell us, Woj? Matt, w- worst possible news for the Warriors. Clay Thompson has suffered a full tear of his right Achilles. He will miss the entire season. Uh, he missed last season with an ACL tear in his left knee. This is his right Achilles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he had the imaging today in Southern California, and Clay Thompson. Uh, now you're looking at a. You know, eight to ten month rehab, uh, he will miss the entire season. And
1: welcome back to another episode of The Final Call. Here on radio, Massasoit, Andrew Fantuccio, Ben Memorias, the man with the easiest name in the Zoom, Mr. Jason Snow. Episode 57. Huge news yesterday out of the NBA. Clay Thompson suffered a torn Achilles already after missing a year to a torn ACL. They suffered back in the NBA Finals in 2018 or 2019, I guess, whatever year you want to call it. Uh, guys, what was your reaction to the news of Clay Thompson's injury?
0: It was the worst news possible. Um, because here I was getting ready for the NBA draft. Couldn't wait. Um, I was going to write about it, going to talk about it with you guys. Um, LaMelo ball, all the hype prospects. And then all of a sudden, this news comes down and it's, you know, the Warriors should have had a, a happy day drafting James Wiseman number two, but this kind of overshadowed that. And I think it seriously hampers what the Warriors had in, had in mind. Uh, they wanted to get back to their championship reign. They wanted to potentially make some noise potentially in the Western Conference Finals. I don't think that's going to happen this year. Um, but it's hard to replace a guy that perennially scores over 20 points. And he's done that for the last five years. And not only that, he's the perfect backcourt mate for Steph Curry. Uh, a guy who can stabilize him with some um, excellent perimeter defense. This is a big loss for them, and you know, last year they just weren't the same without Clay Thompson. Um, as mellow as a guy he is, as as potentially stoic um, of a personality he is, his presence was certainly felt throughout all those championship runs. And I don't think they're going to make it back to where they once were.
2: Yeah, I agree with you, Jason. This was a huge blow for the Warriors. I mean, man, Clay Clay is one of my favorite players in the league because, like you said, he's elite offensively. He can. Just shoot it from anywhere, you know. Not dribbling, <laughs> you know. You can just catch it in the corner, throw it up. Um, but he also can defend, and you know, you mentioned his backcourt mate Steph Curry. This is going to be a big test for him this year. He's coming back off of missing a year with the the broken. What he break? He broke something. His hand. His hand. That's what it was. My heart. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, Steph comes off the broken hand. He has something to prove this year. I thought the Warriors were going to be you know, right up there, like you said, Jason, in the contending for a finals appearance against the Lakers or the Clippers or whoever. This definitely hurts their chances. I still, I'm going to hold out hope for this. James Wiseman, second overall. I'm not saying he's going to step in and be Clay Thompson. That's stupid. But I don't know. Maybe they can, he can give some life to this team that's going through a tough time right now. But they still got Steph. They still got Steve Kerr. It's it's definitely a test for this team, but man, I feel so bad for Clay because Clay wanted to come back so bad after that injury in the finals, and it's just unfortunate. He's one of the league's best players, in my opinion. Yeah,
1: a completely disappointment for me when I got the news. And this was supposed to be a major storyline heading into this year. I was looking forward to seeing him and Steph back on the court together again. Their rivalry with the Clippers-Lakers was supposed to be something that was going to be must-watch TV Anytime they stepped on the court together. Now it's not going to happen. It's going to be two straight years of basketball he's going to miss. I also really question when he does come back uh, in 2021. I mean, what's he going to be like? He's going to be pretty rusty after not having played any sort of organized basketball in two years. Wow. I mean, talk about really an uphill climb. I don't know. I just I feel bad for him. I wish Clay a speed recovery, and I, I think you know, like you said, Ben, he's one of the best players in the NBA, and I think the outpour support that came from across the basketball world immediately after the news broke, just shows how much of his absence will impact the NBA this year.
0: No doubt. And if there's, if you want to shine some light on it, this is kind of what I thought when I first heard the news. A. He hurt his left ACL in the finals. This is his right Achilles, so it's not on the same leg. If that's if there's any bright spot here, I guess that I would mean kind of say that. And
1: Ooh, I don't know. I would kind of say that's probably, you know, that's actually not a bright spot that makes you feel even worse about it because he had at least he had one good leg to to yeah, work both, with. Both
0: legs are. Yeah, I guess so.
1: You know, that's sort of how I, I look. I, su- I see head. what you're saying. Like, I don't know. That, at that, least it's I, not I one not s- leg
0: that's completely you know shot. Broken.
2: But yeah. here's right.
0: another thing that I thought of as soon as I heard the news and as soon as I saw handfuls of NBA players uh, outpour their support was can you imagine that ovation at the new Chase Center that first game back whenever it is, whether it's in 2021 or whatever. That first ovation when he first steps on the court and even hits his first three, that's going to be an electric atmosphere to even watch on TV. That'll be a nationally televised game, no doubt about it. I, I'm I'm excited for that moment, but you know my heart um, is heavy for Clay.
1: Yeah, that would be a great atmosphere, but we got to look a little bit, Can't look too far into the future because basically, almost immediately after the news broke yesterday uh, that he just suffered an injury, like hours before the draft, Warriors trade for Kelly Oubre Jr. from the Thunder. What are you guys' thoughts on the move?
2: I don't think it necessarily makes him that much better. I mean, he's a good guy that comes off the bench, but I don't think anyone's losing sleep. When they have to guard Kelly Oubre, you know it's it's just kind of one of those things that they're just trying to get some perimeter help, and maybe they're trying to cut their losses here. I don't know. I wasn't really thrilled about it. I don't really think it makes it much better. What I the thing I was looking at the most though is OKC got another first. What's I don't what, know
1: Eighteenth in the next seven years, like,
2: something crazy. I don't know. I don't. Also, I don't think Kelly Oubre is worth the first round pick, but. That's I mean, if, if
1: Drew Holiday's worth three of them,
2: I mean Kelly Oubre's least. Yeah, worth maybe, one. maybe that's the market value now. But like, <laughs> I don't know. But like, to, I just kind of like scratched my head at that. I was like, Kelly Oubre for a first round pick? Eh, I don't know. But I mean, who knows? Sam Presti right now is just cooking those first rounders.
0: Yeah, I like it. I, I don't love it though. Uh, and this is kind of what Golden State did last year: was they lose Kevin Durant to the Nets let's just try to recuperate as best we can and just get talent in the building. And that's what they did with D'Angelo Russell. That wasn't a great fit. It wasn't a natural fit. They ended up moving him, what, six months later. But I don't want to call it desperate because that seems too harsh, but they were just scattered and, and they just did the best they could. is a good player, but if I want to shine light on a, on a stat, I don't know if you guys realized, but Golden State has one of the youngest rosters in the NBA. And that kind of led to some of their their downfall last year. They were the worst team in the league last year. Five oldest rosters in the league. You guys know this. Houston, Lakers, Bucks, Mavericks, and and Jazz. All playoff teams. Yep. What are the five youngest? Phoenix, Chicago, Golden State, Minnesota, New York. None of those made the playoffs at all. So that's going to be a tough hill to climb for a team that – what do they have? I mean, they have Steph, they have Draymond, but outside of that, like, who has veteran presence? Who has playoff experience? Wiggins? Marquise Chris? Eric Pascal, no. Jordan Poole? No, no. no. It's, so they're, they're scattering for it. They just need talent. Uh, but I think this is going to be the major key in the offseason for them, in free agency specifically, is getting a guy that has been in the big moments. And that's why a couple weeks ago I said Paul Millsap. If you can get Paul Millsap, and even if you get Lou Williams, if you can get someone, some of these veteran guys, and if you look back to those championship years, who was their bench filled with Leandro Barbosa, Zaza Pachulia, Sean Livingston, David West, guys that have been around the league a long time? They they weren't trying to fill the gaps with you know Juan Toscano-Anderson, who's just come out of the G League, who did play some good good minutes for them, but. It's different when you have those chiseled veterans that can kind of fill in the gaps for you. So that's going to be the biggest key for them if they want to make the playoffs. If they want to, you know, contend with some of these teams on the on the fringe.
1: I mean, Jason, I think that sort of prompts my, my biggest issue with this move was. I mean, yeah, I get going out. You you got to get another guy who can shoot next to Steph Curry. He's not Clay Thompson, but Kelly Oubre is a decent substitute. But you have the second overall pick. And Clay gets injured hours before the draft. When that happens to me, I think the thought process has to immediately go: I got to shop this pick. If I have to, if I want any sort of real chance, if I'm the Warriors, James Wiseman isn't getting it for me. James Wiseman is not a difference maker for me this season. I like the player, and yeah, you have him heading to the future. But if you're trying to make a comeback, if you're trying to make a return into the uh, to the postseason this year. They needed to trade that second overall pick for another score, another legit scoring option next to uh, Steph Curry. I suggested Bradley Beal, but, I mean, hey, Washington wants to see what what he looks like next to John Wall. Maybe you could have called up Boston and see if they would have given you Gordon Hayward for the second overall pick. Danny Ainge was saying that he – there were rumors that the Celtics wanted to get into the top three. I'm sure they would have listened. Danny Ainge always wants more first-round picks. I would have definitely – once I knew that – thompson's injury was as serious as it was i would have a hundred percent been shopping that pick
0: they tried was, to shop that pick for for months they tried to that shop was that the pick. move to make they, I don't, this is nothing new though they tried to trade it they tried to shop it and i'm sure wiseman was there their, was their number one going into it but they tried to trade it to the chicago for wendell carter and, and the number four i believe it was they tried to trade it all around the league but no one was biting because at the end of the day james wiseman has played three games since high school three and no one knows what these players are. They don't need another Garden in LaMelo. But even him was like, he played in Australia. He played in what, Lafia? We don't know any, anything about these guys. So, you know, that's a pretty risky thing to say. Yeah, we'll give up a legit score for someone who we don't really know anything about. So, I mean, I'm, they tried to shop that pick. That was the worst kept secret in the league that they were trying to shop it. Even like the Gordon Hayward sketch that you, that you laid out. Even that, I mean, I don't love it. But they tried to shop it. I'll ensure you that.
1: Does Steph Curry need Clay Thompson, or or can he and Draymond Green carry the Warriors on their own?
2: That is a good question. I'm going to go with they need Clay if they want to make noise, but to have regular season success and to make the playoffs, I don't think they need him. Steph Curry, you know, we've seen his ceiling in 2016, probably the best MVP season I've seen with my own eyes, like just ballistic. 30 points a game, led the league in steals. Uh, 50-40-90 season, like he just had all these crazy accolades, you know, three-pointers left and right. But Klay Thompson had a lot to do with that, right? Now you take him off. Everyone's saying now that KD's gone, maybe Steph's going to have another MVP caliber year. I hope he does because I I love Steph as a player. He's one of my favorite players. But they're going to miss Klay Thompson, and not as much on the offensive end as the defensive end. I think the defensive end is really where they're going to miss him. Because he he can lock up a lot of guards in the league, so you lose a guy like that, that puts more pressure on Steph. Because you know Steph isn't the best defender. Um, we know Draymond can defend, you know, four or five positions. So, but you can't have him do everything. I mean, maybe Kelly Oubre can defend, but I don't know. It, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. But I think they can make some some regular season waves, but when it comes to the playoffs, I don't see them getting past the second round.
1: I wouldn't even see them getting past the first round. I mean, I don't think they finish higher than like the seventh seed. If anything, this year, I'm not even sure if they'll make the playoffs. I guess you're lower than I am. I mean, I think they could make the postseason, but Steph Curry has to have that type of year that you're saying. Mm -hmm. And can he do that coming off a season where he only played in five games? Doesn't have his running mate next to him. Um, is the like he was already the primary ball handler before KD got there, but he had Clay Thompson next to him. He had another right. threat. Teams can now lock in. I mean, yeah, Draymond can have some out- offensive output, but really like, it's Steph Curry and a bunch of, you know, it's a bunch of like second year rookie players. And but that's the case. I mean, they're not gonna make anything higher than the seventh seed. I really that's that's the that is the ceiling for this Warriors
0: team this year. And I do want to expand on this because I think a lot of us like Steph because he's different than a lot of superstars in the fact that he's a team guy. He's a you know organizational guy. He he's very he outreaches to everyone that he plays with, but that can also hurt him in the fact that he can't carry a team by himself if he plays like that. The reason right. James Harden can can will his team is to win offensively at least is because he takes every shot and because he dribbles for 22 of the 24 seconds on the shot clock because he just overtakes what they have going. For Steph, it's different because he, he plays without the ball often. And when the ball's not in his hands, it's in Jordan Poole's hands. I mean, you'd kind of need that surrounding cast with a guy like Steph who plays with their team, who plays within the system. So I that's why I've been saying Golden State needs veterans at the end of the day because... That's kind of the downfall of being a team, guys, because you need a team around you in a, in a right. sense. And I think they'll they'll desperately, they'll need clay 100%. They'll 100% need clay no question. Um, to go back to the um, the upper echelon of the league. But will they make the playoffs this year? I don't know. I need to see what they do in free agency um, for, yeah. me, for me to really make up their mi- my mind on that. But Steph's play is going to yeah. have to be changed depending on what they do.
1: Is Golden State a destination free agency this year without Klay thompson
2: i think so i mean first of all you look at golden state you know san francisco oakland area beautiful weather then you look at the fact that clay Thompson's going to be out maybe someone around the league a free agent is thinking oh they need a piece let me go there and contribute right like a bradley beal or whatever but I think, yeah, I think this, in the long run, this will be a destination for free agency. We we see we see it all the time for California teams. I mean, everyone wants to go there. This is why I've, I've always been bitter towards the Lakers is because they just have all these titles because everyone in free agency goes to the Lakers because it's Los Angeles and everyone loves to live in Los Angeles and California. So it's the same thing with the Warriors. And, you know, it's no secret that KD wanted to go there for... The, the location, right? The warm weather, he's into, really into like tech and the investments that he's making over there. People go there not only for for basketball, they go there for business, you know, for their life outside of basketball. So I think it's definitely going to be a free agent set destination in the future.
1: So now my one argument against that is that you're right about all those things, but is a free agent going to want to sign a multi-year contract in Golden State, where really he's only one year as a true contributor on that team, is because Klay Thompson isn't there. Because what happens when Klay Thompson comes back? He's going to take that spot again. Mm. So then are you three? Are you four with Draymond? Maybe you're five, depending on who you are, if James Wiseman is as good as we think he is. I'm just saying. Like, I, I, That's the one thing I question. Like, I feel like the question. Warriors might only be able to get guys on a one-year option. And especially with things are right now, this economic climate, I don't think anyone wants to take any sort of thing that's less than a three- or four-year deal.
0: Yeah, money's going to be the big question mark is how much money do they have to spend, really. But to Andrew, to answer your question, I'm, I mean, I don't know for sure, but winning solves all. And if, and if, you know, we saw it with KD, Clay was a three on that team. Clay was a, a third option. So would players want to, you know, swallow that pill of maybe being a three? maybe being a fourth option to win, maybe. I don't know, but Ben, you're right about the atmosphere. And they have a culture there that kind of suffocates all the ego that potentially lands there. So I, I don't know if it'll be a big problem, but it's a good question to,
2: to ask.
1: All right, last question. Is the Warriors' dynasty over?
2: Ooh, that's the big one. That is the it big one. to be one. seen...
0: Remains to be seen, but I'll do a tentative yes, because Dynasties are, without a doubt, the best, player, the best team in the league by far. And they're not that anymore. So they're, they're a good team. They're a quality team. They're a team to be feared. But Dynasty is a little
2: strong right now.
1: They're done. It's over. You think so? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can have a one-year gap between titles in a Dynasty, but if you're going to, you're going like multiple years between championships, especially if you're only going to be like as, as, what I think as high as the seventh seed in the playoff picture where you'll probably not even make it past the first round of anything Ooh. at all. Like,
2: okay. Yeah, That's over. good It's point. over. So, it's all over. Right. so, with that being said, though, we all say the Patriots are like the best dynasty ever. So,
1: the way I look at the Patriots,
2: you know where sep- I'm going with this
1: two separate dynasties is oh, okay. how I look at it.
2: All right. Yeah. Not discounting went- it.
1: Because they went ten years without a championship. They're but they
2: did go to the Super Bowl twice in that span. So it's like But lost
1: both times. I mean, I, you need to have a long running of peak success to be a dynasty.
2: Yeah. All That's right. It. I got you. Yeah. I mean, for me, as as much as it hurts me to say, I I feel like this dynasty is over. Um. I think it was over when Clay or when Kevin Durant left, and because you saw it from twenty fifteen to. 2018 they were the best team in basketball and it wasn't close now it's you know kind of once toronto beat them it was like all right like they're gonna come back next year maybe in the finals kd leaves and it's like okay and right there you knew the writing was on the wall then the lakers step in and now i think there's going to be other western conference teams that are going to take that mantle
1: an abrupt and painful end to the warriors dynasty a new era is beginning. A new wave of players has entered the NBA. We'll go over the NBA draft coming up next on the final call. Back on the final call, this segment is brought to you by New England Sports United.com, written by the one and only Jason Snow. New England Sports United.com, written for New England.
2: A uh, great publication. <laughs>
0: So, Ben, how do you
1: think uh, the first meeting between Michael Jordan and LeVar Ball is going to go?
2: Oh, that's such a good question, Andrew. <laughs> it's probably going to go something like LeVar is like, yo, in my prime, I would have taken you easily one-on-one. No question. And Michael Jordan is probably like, okay, Just calm down. We, are, we actually all know Michael Jordan. He doesn't back down from a challenge, so he's probably going to challenge him to a one-on-one, and then Michael Jordan's going to be like, all right, quit playing. And then Michael Jordan's going to take him to school like he did to everyone in the late 80s and all of the 90s. I wonder, who's
1: older? LeVar or uh, MJ? Uh,
2: that's a that's a good question. I'll
0: look it up. Hold on.
1: Look it up, Jason. Anyways, <laughs> while you're doing that, uh, how do you guys feel about Anthony Edwards going first overall? Uh, do you like it? Do you like it in Minnesota? Or do you think someone else should be picked first?
2: I think... It was the right pick. I would have picked him at number one. I think he's the most complete player in the draft. Um, He has a little bit of everything. You know, can score, can defend, can pass. So I like him going first overall. I mean, we've seen a lot of first overall picks go to Minnesota, though, and they kind of just don't really do much. I mean, Andrew Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns is still there. Can Cat kind of, you know, take this new kid under his wing. I don't know. I mean, this is the same team that Jimmy Butler screamed at saying that they can't effing win without him and that they need to have more hunger and more desire because they just kind of piddle through the regular season and they don't really care. So I hope that culture doesn't rub off on Anthony Edwards because I think Anthony Edwards is a really good player and he's going to be special in this league someday. So I I agree with him going first overall, but I'm not thrilled with him going to Minnesota.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean... I would have picked him first if I were the Wolves, but I mean, I don't think he's the, he was the best player in this draft, though. I think he's the best raw athlete, but best basketball player. I think that's more. I think that was Lamelo Ball, but he fits better in Minnesota than Lamelo does right now. He slides perfectly into what the Wolves have already. You can put him next to D'Angelo Russell in that backcourt. Let him learn, you know, in that next to him. Um, I don't know. I like the move. Was he the best pick though? Was he the best player? I don't think so. But uh, he fits the best.
0: Update back on the useless information you you didn't know you needed. Uh, Lavar Ball is fifty three years old, and MJ is fifty seven. And um, okay. MJ's worth one point six billion, and Lavar's worth four million. So Lavar's catching him. He's gonna catch him <laughs> uh, with that big baller brand. So uh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: the, the big baller brand with the four hundred fifty dollars sneakers that fall apart after two wears. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was weird. Anyway, back to the
0: uh, Anthony Edwards thing. <laughs> um, I like the pick. I don't love it, but I don't. I didn't really love anyone at, in this draft at the top. Red flag right before the draft. Anthony Edwards comes out and says, "I love basketball, but I consider it more than, more of a job, not like a passion." And I was like, "That's a weird thing to say, like two hours before the draft." And he was like, "I love football so much. I I consider football my first love, which is fine. But like, wouldn't you wait till like after the draft to really say like?" basketball is not my not my life like I don't live for bass like I don't know uh Anthony Edwards is going to be a good player but when I first heard their draft profile of him I think it was Mike Schmitz of ESPN that did this uh they ranked through you know after every pick they're like strengths weaknesses whatever and then one of the weaknesses of like the top three guys was like decision making defensive drive and I was like red flag Red flag. This is Andrew Wiggins all over again, but going back and seeing his highlights and and seeing how he played, I I think he'll work out, but this is going to, this is a weird draft all considered because of COVID because no March madness, because like James Wiseman, three games since high school, like I said, in the warrior segment, what are you really getting there? Um, And, and LaMelo ball played overseas. RJ Hampton played overseas. There's not really too much film on those guys. I don't know. It was a weird draft and a, a draft. I'd rather, you know, pick lower end of the lottery rather than in up high, but Anthony Edwards is going to be a good player. I just don't know if he'll be your prototypical number one pick.
1: So if that's the case, let's fast forward five years from now, which pick do you think will be the steal of the draft?
0: This is a pick that no one has talked about except me. Uh, if you read my story on NESU, uh, of course he's plugging, plugging um, it. Plug <laughs> Devin Vassell uh, went 11th overall yes. to the San Antonio Spurs, and I can't believe this is flying so under the radar. He's 6'6", and if you watch you've watched the film, he's the longest guy on the court. His wingspan is so long. He's 6'6", only 180 pounds, so he's really slender and really thin, but I think he'll have this size eventually. He'll bulk up, I think. 45% from the field, like 41 from three. That's good efficiency. And he can really handle the ball. He can really play that wing position that can thrive in the NBA. Devin Vassell of the Spurs is my favorite, you know, under the radar pick. And I think he'll be, he'll emerge as a star in the NBA, I think.
1: Jason, you're gonna be really surprised by my pick for this. I mean, I think a lot of people, I thought you would pick uh, Danny Avija or Avija. Am I saying that right?
0: Uh, Avia, I think. think Danny Avija, who,
1: who yeah. slid to number nine and got picked by Washington. I think a lot of people are gonna pick him as a steal. But I think Onyeka Okungwu, and just a couple, like a week ago, you mentioned him, and I was like, who?
2: type, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but him, he got picked six by the Hawks, and I think we're going to look back, and that was something that we're going to say, we're going to be surprised that five of the teams passed on him. I, I read his draft profile on The Ringer uh, by, from Kevin O'Connor, and I think he's a guy that, he already has a ton of tools that translate to the NBA, you know, and ones that, you know, those top picks ahead of him don't have that you said were red flags, but he hustles. He's a good perimeter defender. He's great at finishing at the rim. I think you pair him with Trey Young in Atlanta, it's going to be a great fit, and I think you'll see it on display early this season. I'm gonna. I'm high on Onyeka Okungwu. Onyeka Akongwu. I, like I am, that.
0: too. He's I like that, that name. He's a Bam out of Bio prototype. I'm not saying he will become what Bam is, but... He's he's got that similar you know play style and effort and I don't know I,
2: I like uh, Onyeka Okongwu as well.
1: Onyeka Okongwu, say it with me, guys.
2: Onyeka Okongwu. That's gonna be a like they're gonna start calling him Double O or something like that because there's like yeah. you can't you can't imagine you know like little kids saying like oh I like Onyeka like okay that's I mean a lot of people cannot pronounce that I. Guarantee you they're going to start calling him double O. I want to trademark that now so I can get my uh, my money from that. But anyway, this is not really a steal for me as much as it is kind of like a, I laughed a little bit. Ob top of the Knicks. Poor guy. <laughs> Poor <hometown> guy. Team. <laughs> yeah, oh man. I mean, I get it. But listen, if you want to send someone somewhere where they're not going to grow at all as a player... New York's the place to be. Hey, listen, Madison Square Garden is the, you know, quote-unquote, the mecca of basketball. Everyone loves to play in that gym. I get it. But you're the worst team in basketball for probably the, what, past 20 years? And you had Carmelo Anthony on your team. You still sucked. So let's see if uh, Obi Toppin comes in and just lights it up. I honestly, I don't know. I think that was... If I was him, I would have pulled a Eli Manning, and I would have just said, "Oh my I'm, God, I'm not going! I'm not going to the Knicks! Are you kidding?"
0: It was really. Like, I, I was thinking about you when I when I saw this. But Obi Toppin was was highly touted by both the Knicks and the Cavs. and I was like, "Can you pick a word? This dude." Yep, I feel so bad. That's um, what I'm saying. It's like,
2: whoa, <laughs> that's it's like, oh my goodness! Like those are like the two worst places you want to go if you're getting drafted into the NBA. It's like, thanks. Like I know, he, I know they weren't. I know he wasn't like the first overall pick, and like the Knicks aren't weren't technically the worst team uh, in the league last year. It was Minnesota, but like, come on, dude, come on. That's, that's honestly all. though, I think
1: that Obi Toppin needed to go to New York. I think New York needed a guy like him.
2: Because, no. Okay. Okay. Ref- yeah. New York needs a guy like him. He does not need New York, but go. Ahead. But my point is, like,
1: <laughs> they need, uh, like, they need someone that New York can get behind. They need yes. like, a hometown kid who's from there, loves the team, obviously, loves the city. Someone that they can rally behind and be, like, a leg- can be a New York Nick, not be a guy stopping there to try to revitalize his career, not be just some bench role player. Like, he's got to be the first, like, foundational piece. Will he be? I don't know. I mean, he doesn't really exactly fit the whole... He's not the prototype of a foundational NBA player in today's NBA, mm-hmm. but I think if he comes into New York with that attitude and just goes in there... with because You could tell when he got drafted by the Knicks in full-on tears. He loves New York. He loves that team. I, I think the Knicks got a good one here. Maybe not as a player, but as a leader, as a locker room presence, as a, as a, as a chemistry guy, I like yeah. the
2: fit. They have R.J. Barrett and I mean, good player, but they drafted him last year. He didn't really do much, so I don't know. I, I just hope his – I hope – like, I like this guy. I like Toppin. I just – I hope he can kind of overcome the, the Knicks' failures.
0: And that's a tough spot to be as a team. A hometown kid is is arguably the best player available. Like, I think back to the, the Bengals last year when they were going to pick Joe Burrow. And if yep. – what if Obi Toppin becomes an NBA star? Then fifteen down the line, fifteen years down the line, fans are just like, "Oh, the Knicks! You had a hometown kid right there. We could have served it to you on a silver platter, and you didn't take him." That's always a tough place to be. You always want to pick the hometown hero, so to speak. Obi Toppin. The, the only thing that really concerns me about Obi Toppin is: yes, he's a high flyer. Yes, he can dunk. Yes, he's you know stylistic. Um, yes, he's a well-built kid, but. He came from a non-Power 5 team, Dayton. What teams did those guys play? And second of all, he's 22 years old. Like He's a lot older than a lot of these guys. So, I mean, yeah. what's his ceiling in the long haul? Who knows? Um, but, Andrew, you make a lot of good points there that he's going to embrace the Knicks in, in, the, in a way that players haven't quite embraced them in the past. I'll just say that. wow hey i'm not going cleveland browns on them i'm just i'm just stating the facts like they they need a guy to you know give them a hug low self-esteem franchise right
2: there oh no
0: question
1: they need a hug yeah (laughs) oh
0: kevin durant wouldn't get wouldn't hug him (laughs) kyrie irving wouldn't hug him right they need some love hometown hero yep i agree
1: how do you guys feel about there was a pick um Patrick Williams going fourth overall to the Bulls. A lot of people were surprised by this one. What did you guys think of that?
0: I mean, it's totally not ideal to select a guy who didn't really start a lot of games in college. But Chicago was another, in another spot where they like a guy at four, and there were teams seven, eight, nine who really liked him. And if you like a guy in the draft, especially in the NBA, you take him 100% of the time because you never know – you have to prioritize the the players that you have, the skill that you have on the board. So, uh, I absolutely think that um, maybe in the short short sighted people might just say, you know, you overpaid for for Patrick Williams, and he's not quite the player that Lamelo might be or Anthony Edwards might be. But if you like a guy in the draft, you have to take him, especially when teams only three picks behind you are really interested in him. Like. If he's not worth the fourth pick, then he's not worth it at seven. You know what I mean? What's the difference, really? I mean, I think we could all admit that this was a draft, not necessarily filled with stars, but a draft filled with solid NBA players that will play like probably 10 years in the league that will fill key roles. Like outside of Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, Lamelo Ball and I think Devin Vassell. Where's the star potential? There, there really isn't a lot of guarantees. So if you think Patrick Williams can fill a, a need on your team, I think you know why pick him at four if you wouldn't pick him at seven. You know,
2: yeah, I kind of fall into the same category as you, Jason. I mean, I was a little surprised too. But if you like a guy, take him, like Jason saying. Also, some of these picks are teams playing defense a little bit. I think, Jason, that's like you were kind of alluding to that. It's like if the Other teams like, you know, the Knicks or whoever are trying to pick him at 7, 8, 9, and you have the fourth pick and you really like him, take him. You don't want another team to have your guy. So, I think a lot of that had to do with it, but I don't know. I mean, the Bulls are just a rebuilding franchise. I don't really think he makes them, like, you know, a contender. I mean, the Eastern Conference is obviously not as deep as the Western Conference, but, you know, it was a decent pick. I'm not totally in love with it though
1: who's your pick for rookie of the year like early just blind take early pick for rookie of the year
2: can i go on this one jason please firewood i've been critical of the ball brothers specifically lonzo because lonzo's not a bust, but he i don't think he was worth the second overall pick i think he was a little overhyped LeVar ball just irritates me like no other. So now we have Lamelo Ball, who gets drafted by the goat? Michael Jordan.: You didn't go to the Lakers. legit. Oh Okay,. Go ahead. go ahead. Michael Jordan is going to extract the best out going. of. just zip it. Michael Jordan is going to extract the best out of lamelo ball. I think LaMelo ball is going to come out, you know, a lot of people are sleeping on him. I think. He had a huge growth spurt. He was like five eight, and now he's six seven, and he he plays like a guard. So, pff, throw him with the greatest guard of all time. Oh I don't. I mean, I know, I know, I know. Michael Jordan isn't the coach. He's just a GM, and he doesn't really do anything, and he just kind of chills. But listen, go Bulls. I mean, go Hornets.
0: Ben, no offense. Uh, no, I don't mean to be mean spirited, but that might be the worst reason to a question ever answered. Especially by you. What? Who's going to win the Rookie of the Year? Lamelo Ball. Why, Ben? Because Michael Jordan's going to force it out of him. What? Yep. What? That might... oh, ben, I was going to pick Lamelo too, but not because of Michael Jordan going to extract the greatness out of Lamelo Ball. It's I not going to be because to see, of that. I just,
2: I just wanted to see the look on your face when I said oh that. That's all. You're...
0: We're running short on time, but my pick's going to be... Ooh.
2: I mean, uh, I like Lamelo for the basketball reasons, but I just thought I'd throw that in because you know, I just I I love you're to setting see, me up. Uh, you're yes. setting me up. Yes, oh. mostly, but I also you know, Michael Jordan. Could you Scott?
0: imagine if I said that, Andrew? Why do you think? <laughs> why do you think Javale McGee is going to have a key role with the Lakers this year? He picked up his his player option because LeBron James is going to extract the greatness out of Javale McGee. He's going to be the yep. most improved player. That would be the worst reason. Ever. So, I mean, my pick early is LaMelo Ball because they'll have the ball in his hands all the time and they don't have much else. And the media loves stories. Um, so they're, they're, they're going to especially keep an eye on LaMelo down in Charlotte. Um, but I feel like he's going to have a rough start to the year, but I think he'll turn it around halfway through. Not because Michael Jordan is is in the front office. <laughs> if that was a, a pure reason, then Malik Monk would have panned out better and, and all, all of his other lousy draft
2: picks. You're right. Panned out, so. You're right. Hey, listen, Michael Jordan is the Michael Jordan of of bad owners. Okay.
1: Michael Jordan is the Michael Jordan of bad owners.
2: Yes. Meaning he's the best at being bad. He has not been a good owner. He has not been a good GM either. Really? He's worse than James Dolan? (laughs) Oh, that's true. But (laughs) I'm just talking in terms of like, I mean, his draft picks of the past like decade have just been I mean, LaMelo Ball is a good pick. I like it. But it's going to turn around this time. It's going to going to turn it around this time. Oh, my hey. God, ben. Come on, man. Hey, Jason. What? Six rings, dude. All right, and that is all the time we've had <laughs> for this segment. <session>.
1: <laughs> the Rookie of the Year Award in the NBA is as we race, we'll be watching this season. But first, we'll look at the NFL MVP race. Our thoughts next. Back on the final call, final segment. This segment is brought to you by the scoreboardtimes.com, show your passion while you're here. Guys, let me ask you this. How far do you think Russell Wilson fell in the MVP race after his performances against the Rams and the Bills? And did he make up any ground after his win last night over the Arizona Cardinals?
2: I think he definitely took a hit in those previous two games against the Bills and then the, uh, the Rams. Four turnovers against the Bills. He had two interceptions against the Rams. Something looked off. I'm not really sure what it was. I mean, DK Metcalf was kind of, he didn't look in sync at all. And I don't know if it was the receivers or I don't know if it was Russell Wilson. But, I mean, see, the thing with Russell Wilson is, though, he can have a game like that where they only score 16 points. Those a couple of picks. He still has a few plays where I'm just like, you're kidding. How does he make that throw? Or how does he do that? How does he get out of – how does he evade that pressure? But to answer your question, I think he definitely he, – he was, he was way ahead in the race. He's back down to earth now. He played well against the Cardinals on Thursday night football, prime time. You know, that Cardinals team's really hot right now. And he came out with a victory. So I think that helps him. But I don't know. Patrick Mahomes is, is biting at his heels right now because he's, he's right there. So would you give it to Russ if it ended today? Ooh, that's really tough. That's really tough. I don't know. I don't – like, because Mahomes has, what, one pick on the year? hmm And Russ has several Ten. turnovers. I mean, can Ten. I answer this? Yeah. Go I, for it.
1: He's definitely made up some ground. Those games against Buffalo in Los Angeles were ugly. Very. What I think it was four interceptions combined in those two games, plus three fumbles – uh, bad decisions. I mean, a lot of those interceptions were his fault too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and before, like you're right, Russell Wilson was way ahead, but he was only way ahead because of the narrative purpose. Well, oh, yeah, I don't know he wasn't about exactly that. outpacing Patrick Mahomes stats-wise.
2: He right? still leads the league in touchdown passes,
1: but barely. And he also has the second most interceptions
2: by five. Yeah, but he five more
0: touchdown passes than Mahomes.
2: And he and he didn't throw any against the Rams. Think about that. So in uh, that's my point.
1: It? Like he's lost a, he lost a lot of ground in those two games. Yeah. Right. He made up some of it last night because I mean, just the play he made in the first quarter, DK Metcalf escaping the pressure, throwing it on the run it was it was like a thirty yard throw Beautiful. back of the end. Oh, like Russell Wilson, absolutely an, an elite player, and he should have had more MVP votes than the past. Absolutely. But now, I mean, I felt like this year all he really had was that. He was playing really well, and his stats were there, but he wasn't exactly outrunning Mahomes stats-wise. What gave him the edge was the narrative. Never having an MVP vote, nine years in, this, uh, in the league, one of the most respected players in all the NFL. I just felt like all oh, that's all he really had to hold on to. That's what separated them. And now, with his stats, I mean, he still has that narrative. But when the stats are that close, and Mahomes' touchdown interception ratio is twenty-eight to one, or like whatever it is, twenty-five to one, it's something in that area. It, that's insane. So I just feel like that's all Wilson really had to hold on to in the first place was the narrative part of it.
0: And let me push back on that because we can look at the stats and we can look at TD and uh, interception ratio, one hundred percent. But Russell has a lot more to deal with, and and here's why. Russ has been sacked 33 times on this on the season so far, through 10 weeks. How many, venture a guess, how many has Mahomes, how many times has he been sacked this year? Half of that, if that. 12 times. Wow,
2: um, even less.
0: <laughs> Seattle's defense is the worst defense in the NFL. They give up more yards than Dallas. They give up more points than Dallas, who we all say is some a defense we could go out and, and play against. Um, Kansas City does have a an advantage in the fact that their average scoring margin is, is almost 12. So that in their average game, they win by 12 Seattle's is only three, but that's up um, from 0.6 that, that it was last year. And another note about Seattle's defense is that they haven't given up less than 21 points this season. They haven't, <laughs> they haven't allowed less than 21 points.
2: Kansas, City,
0: right. Kansas City's done that seven times. And one of the times they didn't, they lost at home against Oakland. I mean, uh, Vegas. I'm sorry. So I, I see where Andrew's coming from. The narrative is certainly a big part of it. But when you have to carry a franchise, uh, most valuable, you take Russell Wilson off the Seahawks. Thank you. Yeah. What are they? And I don't want to turn the MVP race, and I don't want to turn um, Patrick Mahomes year in year year in and year out into LeBron, where he virtually has to go perfect, um, like every single year to be even mention the conversation. But Russell was so ahead because of how much he has to deal with. Sure, you can have two bad weeks. They just happen to be consecutive. But I'll let you have one, a couple clunkers in a row. Russ was so ahead that those two, even though they brought him back, I, I'd still give it to Russell if it ended today.
1: I see your point. But I also look at who these two teams have beaten. And I know like... Russ has has a lot to deal with. He has to elevate the Seahawks team 100%. You're right. But look at who he's beaten. He's beaten Atlanta, New England, Dallas, Miami, Minnesota, and San Francisco. The combined record of those teams, 23 and 32. Those are those six wins. Their three losses, Arizona, Buffalo, and Los Angeles, 19 and Mm 9. They beat good teams. They beat bad teams, but they lose to good teams. If you're the best, if you are the elite of the elite, you got to beat the good teams. Wilson has not played well in in the Seahawks' biggest games. He had a good game yesterday. That was a turnaround. That was a turning point. Mm -hmm. And his schedule favors him the rest of the way. The Seahawks' remaining games at Philadelphia versus the Giants versus the Jets at Washington, home against the Rams at San Francisco. They have a bad schedule the rest of the way. So it's entirely possible that his stats do end up out uh, running Mahomes. But Mahomes also has stiffer competition.
0: Well, Ben, before you jump in, I'm I'm sorry for Mm -hmm. cutting you off. No, no, you're good. But Seattle's defense, once again, 25 points allowed to Atlanta. That shouldn't be a, a shootout game. 30 points to New England, who lost two weeks ago to Denver's field goal team and couldn't score a touchdown in two months. They give up 26 points to Kirk Cousins in a clincher. 37 points to Kyler. That's good. 27 points to Nick Mullins at home. Yeah. Russell's got 44 points to Josh Allen. I mean, Josh Allen's a good player, but 44 points, especially on the road, like he's getting into shootouts week in and week out, and he's doing his best to, you know, keep even with that. And there's so much that offense can do that. He has to keep up with a lot. So, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. Andrew, your, your record evaluation is, is valid and it's there. I just, I don't know. I'd, I'd still feel like I'd give it to Russell. And I know what you're saying. Rebuttal.
1: But, to be the best, you gotta beat the best.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. That's so, all. And
1: the, I, I know Russ has a ton of has a ton to work uh not uh, he has a ton against him. A ton of stuff holding him back. Pete Carroll, I mean, as good a coach as he is, his decision making isn't always foolproof. injuries to his running backs and offensive line, a bad defense, playing in the toughest division in the NFC. It may be in all of football. But look what Mahomes has done this year. He's gone into Baltimore on the road, shut them down in a huge game. Yeah. yeah, you lost to Oakland, Vegas on the road at home, but if you want to give Russell a mulligan, you got to give Mahomes a mulligan.
2: So to that, I'd say the game they beat Baltimore, Lamar had less than 100 yards, and they looked terrible, and that's a credit to the, the uh, Chiefs defense, and Jason said it. The Seattle defense is putrid. They're not good. And then you look at past MVP winners. You look at Lamar Jackson. Andrew, you say that to be the best, you got to beat the best. We always say about Lamar, he beats the good teams, but when he faces the really good teams, like the Chiefs, he loses. And that was no different when he won the MVP last year. But what happened? Led the league in touchdown passes. Broke the rushing record for a QB. He wins the MVP. And then, you know, go back a few more years uh, when – uh, Carson Wentz was in the running for MVP, lighting the league on fire. But who won the MVP that year? Tom Brady, because he had nothing to work with for receivers. He had Danny Amendola, you know, Edelman, Chris Hogan. Come on. But also,
1: Wentz got injured in week 11, couldn't finish the season. That's an injury. Like he, well, yeah, so Brady did about pacing him.
2: So who, who knows what would happen
1: if, if Wentz okay, doesn't get
2: hurt? Okay, but the point is... Russell Wilson is, is, for me, is still the MVP because he just has more to work with. His defense keeps letting him down. And he's he's playing from behind where Mahomes is usually playing from ahead.
0: And, and before, I don't want to turn this into a situation where Mahomes has to be perfect. To, he has to be far and away the best even receive consideration like LeBron uh, years past, Ben. But I will... <laughs> I'll open this door. I will switch my vote in a couple weeks when Kansas City goes to Tampa Bay. That's a game I'll keep my eye on. If, if, if Mahomes lights it up and Russell you know, doesn't stumble but doesn't necessarily you know, has like six touchdowns in the game in, in two weeks, if, he can, if Mahomes lights up that Tampa Bay defense, which has been proven it can be lit up, ask Aaron Rodgers, ask you know, the Saints. If Mahomes goes in there and beats up Tom Brady and it's convincing... I'll, I'll change my mind, but as of right now in week what are we week 11 now? Mm-hmm. I'd still give it to Russell, but I'm not ruling out a Mahome's comeback.
1: You know, but I, I'm not saying Mahomes is light years ahead. it's the race isn't even close. I mean yeah. I, I, that's all. I mean, if you look at the current odds from the William Hill sports book, Mahomes and Wilson are at the top. Mahomes is at a plus 175. Wilson's a plus 225. I think mean, that's fair. Mm-hmm. And he's behind right now because of those bad games against Buffalo, against Los Angeles, the loss in Arizona. And he's probably made up ground since last night because I, I collected those stats before the game yesterday.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, I'm just saying he lost a lot of ground. I felt like what was putting him ahead at first was the narrative. But Mahomes is having the better season. If you're at week 11 and you haven't thrown a single interception, I mean, you've <laughs> only thrown one interception, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That is absolutely ridiculous. While Russ has... 10, and some of them were his fault. Some of them were bad decisions, bad throws. There was a play against the Rams where he was running towards the pylon, had a touchdown, only had to beat the linebacker. But for some reason, Russell Wilson chucks it across the field to the opposite back corner in the end zone and gets picked off.
2: Why? And part of that, I think, is because he's trying to make up for what the defense has given up. He's trying to do too much. I mean, we see this all the time with, quarterbacks who have a who are playing on a team with a defense who isn't they aren't that good so they're feeling we see we saw this with Brett Favre a lot he would try to make things happen instead of you know doing the smart thing he just tries to make up for lost time by you know getting the big play and it it turns the ball over so this is something that I mean obviously it's still his fault he needs to fix that but I think it's because he's trying to make up for what the defense has given up I get I mean, that,
1: That's the reason why, but ultimately you're, you're still committing the turnovers. I, I mean, I understand why. It's, it's a valid yeah, excuse. It, yeah,
2: I mean, it's still not a, it's still it not a good raise, football It doesn't erase the interceptions. Right. It's still not a good football decision. Go ahead, Jason. I, I have a
0: question. And in this modern day of football, and especially the coverage of it, we prefer quarterbacks. We we love quarterbacks. We kind of put our arms around it. Why? I mean, quarterback. you can't win without a good quarterback, though, obviously. And yeah. they're the most important position. But why? Like, why do I feel like Quarterbacks kind of get the most love. Like, this is always a two man race between the two best quarterbacks in the league. Why? It's always like once in a blue moon. It's, it's becoming a Heisman Award where nobody outside quarterback can even get a. Like, so, how come Dalvin Cook doesn't get mentioned? How come Derrick Henry doesn't get mentioned? How come de- defensive players, especially, they don't get a lot of love? Like, I know there aren't like a lot anything. of. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, why isn't the coverage the same?
1: You know, it's, it's weird. There hasn't been a defensive player to g- garner an MVP vote, not win the vote, but that. Well, the last uh, defensive fo- f- uh, player to win the MVP award was Lawrence Taylor in 1986. Yeah. So that's how long that's been.
0: That's what I'm saying.
1: The last yeah. time a defensive player was voted for in uh, the MVP race was J.J. Watt in 2014, and he mm-hmm. got like 12 votes yeah. out of like 100. or I don't know how many people vote for that, for that award, but it wasn't very many, I, and I believe that was your Peyton Manning won it again. Uh, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, right now the top players on the MVP list right now with the best odds – Mahomes, Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Tom Brady, all quarterbacks, quarterbacks. Yep. all quarterbacks. But I think that's because quarterbacks decide the game. Yeah, you, know, you can't win without a great quarterback. You can't win without a great defense or a great. You know, I mean, you can win without a great running back. But to be a to win the MVP as a running back, like, you need to go above and beyond. You need to be Adrian Peterson when he won it. You need to be Walter Payton. You need to set like a career rushing title. You know, it needs that, to
0: translate to wins too.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's the big thing. And and like, if you want to mention Dalvin cook, I mean, look where the Vikings are right now. I know and it's unfair because it's the same, it's the same reason you bring it up for Russell Wilson. But if, if you want to hold quarterbacks to that same standard, you get a whole other players to that as well. It shouldn't differ based off position.
2: It shouldn't, but it does. That's like the, that's the ultimate truth because quarterbacks, the most important position, probably in all the sports and you can't win without one. and, that's why I think there is kind of a hierarchy when it comes to like uh, critiquing positions and players and everything, because you're not going to look at a quarterback the same way you look at a running back or a wide receiver. A wide receiver has never won an MVP in the hundred plus years of the NFL. A running back's only won it a couple of times, you know, like Jim Brown, Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, Adrian Peterson, Ladainian Tomlinson. But all those guys had you know career years. And like we said at the beginning of the year, Derrick Henry was on pace to have a huge year. He still is. Um, but he's nowhere to be mentioned in the MVP race because why? He's a running back. You know, it's, it's kind of – the MVP has become more of a quarterback-centric award, kind of like Jason was saying with the Heisman. It's like – the
1: Offensive Player of the Year award becomes a, the best offensive else. player that's not a quarterback.
2: So, yeah. like, last year it was Michael Thomas. He had a big year, broke the receiving record. He gets it. You know, this year it could be Dalvin Cook. Um, it could be DeAndre Hopkins, if we're being honest. So, it's that's kind of how it chips out. But I think that's why a lot of people they they grade players differently based on their position because there's different things you would demand them to do. Like you wouldn't compare, you know, Tom Brady with J.J. Watt because that's two completely different positions, two sides of the ball. You wouldn't you wouldn't grade them on the same scale. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, but we live in a world now where like that has also kind of gone hand in hand with wins are now quarterback stats, and it's he won what sixty percent of his games in his career. Like quarterback, like wins aren't necessarily a quarterback stat. It helps, but like it's more of a coach stat for me. And I just want to show some love to some other positions. That's all. I mean, I mean, we talk about quarterbacks every week. What
1: are what are some non uh, QB players? What are non quarterbacks that you would put in the MVP race right now? And would you put them above any of the six quarterbacks I mentioned?
0: Ben named two of them: Derek Henry and Dalvin Cook. Um, yep. The problem is with defense; it doesn't really like it's such a unit. You know what I mean? Like I I don't know, Ben. Maybe you can have a better answer to this one.
2: I mean, for defense, it's it's hard for a defensive player to win the MVP because, like you said, Andrew, you gotta you gotta like have an amazing year. Like when Lawrence Taylor won in 1986, it's because he completely changed how offense's game plan. They had to use a fullback to block the linebacker because if you didn't, he was going to smoke you in the back. (laughs) And, like, offenses had to change the entire game plan to, to cater to Lawrence Taylor. So that's why he won the MVP that year. But if you look at defensive players now, I mean, the only one that comes close to me is Aaron Donald. But even Aaron Donald, I mean, you look at the Rams right now, Eh, like, yeah, I mean, I know that their offense isn't great. And that doesn't that shouldn't be Aaron Donald's fault, but like you you don't look at the Rams and you're like, oh, they're winning because of Aaron Donald. You know what I mean? But if we're talking about other quarter or other positions other than quarterback, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, you can make a case for DeAndre Hopkins.
1: Alvin Kamara is someone I put on. Alvin that list.
2: Kamara is another good one. He's lighting it up right now. Has the most yards from scrimmage on the year right now.
1: Was there anyone that you would put above any of the six quarterbacks right now? Like without having to think about it. If you have to, th- if you have to think about it, it's no.
2: Name them again. Who are the six? Six
1: quarterbacks that are currently, and this is just the William Hill sports book. Pat Mahomes, Wilson, Rogers, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Tom Brady. Any non-quarterback you would put right. above any of those players?
2: I would put, I put Derek Henry above Kyler. I would.
1: So you—that means you would put him above Allen and Brady as well.
2: Well, that's, see, so that's that, the thing. That's, that's that's based, those, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Those are the odds. Well, okay. From the William Hill sports book, I don't give a rip. What <laughs> I'm saying is, from, from my perspective, Tom Brady's had a better year than Allen and Kyler Murray. So, like, that's just from my perspective. And, like, you can look at – I know you're going to pull up stats or whatever, but just from my own eyes, what I've been seeing, he just looks better. So, you look at – the other guys. Uh, so for me, that list would probably go: Wilson, Mahomes, Rogers, Brady, and then I'd throw Derrick Henry, Kyler, Josh Allen, or Josh Allen, Kyler. I think Kyler's at the bottom. I think Kyler's special. I think he's in the conversation, but he's not. He's not. So touching those
1: guys yet. Brady's having a better passing year than Murray is. Okay. You know, so Murray's stats. Uh, 2,375 yards, 17 touchdowns, 18 receptions. Mm-hmm. Brady, 2,739 yards, 23 touchdowns, 7 picks. But he's actually having a pretty comparable year to Josh Allen. Very comparable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brady, once again, 2,739 yards, uh, 23 touchdowns, 7 picks. Allen, 2871 for 21 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. So those are very comparable. What separates Murray... This is what he does on the ground as well.
2: Right. I'm not I, I saying mean, I'm not saying Tom Brady should win the MVP. I'm not saying he's above no, Mahomes and Wilson. I know. I'm you're just not. saying, I think, I think he's having a better year than Murray and Allen. Only those guys. But the, like I said, I'd probably put Derrick Henry above those two, or because, or Dalvin Cook even. Because you take Dalvin Cook off the Vikings, what do they have? They have nothing. I mean, Justin Jefferson's exciting. Don't get me wrong, but Kirk Cousins meh like they're not winning games and then dalvin cook's been lighting it up so i would put you know dalvin cook and derrick henry would be the two non-quarterbacks i'd throw in that race
1: i mean for me i probably put alvin kamara and i put him above allen and brady but i put him behind Kyler murray
2: that's a fair one
1: and that's about all the time you have for the final call this week as always you can listen to us in podcast form wherever you get your podcasts including apple podcasts and spotify if you're interested in doing some reading, make sure you check out United.com and TheScoreboardTimes.com. As always, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at FinalCallMCC. For Ben Memoritus, for Jason Snow, I'm Andrew Fantuccio. This has been the Final Call on Radio Massasoit. <laughs>